The Start On Demand. On demand. We had a wonderful conversation today with former NHL star Jordan Tutu on his road to sobriety, recovery, and community advocacy. Also today, we talked about peeling plates, specialty license plates. One of Greg's buddies posted on Twitter that his Winnipeg Jets license plate is peeling off and it looks like it's a thousand years old. We'll speak to Manitoba Public Insurance about that. And then we'll have a spin-off conversation. Have you ever bought something that turned out to just be cheap garbage? I'm Brett McGarry, alongside Greg Mackling and Loren McNabb. We are Mackling, McGarry and McNabb. And this is the Wednesday, June 10th podcast for The Start. Mackling, McGarry and McNabb, thank you so much for joining us this morning on The Start. Lots to discuss as always, including, Greg, some peeling plates. What's happening with the Winnipeg Jets license plates? Well, apparently it's not just the Jets ones, Brett. It's the Blue Bombers ones as well. Uh, Some people having issues with them. I didn't know how big a deal this was for people. So when my buddy Zach posted something on Twitter on Tuesday night, I thought I'd retweet it and find out how many people were having issues with these because one of my friends on the weekend also mentioned it was time for him to replace his Jets plates. Well, I've never had a tweet reach 20,000 people before, and the conversation and uh, the back and forth is incredibly diverse. The, uh, the types of experiences people are having, the amount of money people are paying to have their plates replaced is different. So uh, we're going to find out what the story is with these license plates that are barely 10 years old. They're not even 10 years old yet. MPI, Brian Smiley will join us this morning. We'd love to hear from you, uh, your experience with these specialty plates. Loren, so- did you get your Chicken Terry's uh, specialty license plate yet from Mendoza? <laughs> I wish. That should be a thing. There'd be at least nine of us that would go in on that. So that's well <laughs> worth the investment, I think. Chicken Terry's then evolved to Terry's Place. So would you, which one would you get? That would be the struggle. But I'm curious, Greg, was the was the challenge, the concern out there that the that the plates are peeling at such a relatively young age, or that there's just varying stories on replacement costs? Uh, both the, the fact that uh, they they look some of them look absolutely horrific. Uh, they're bubbling, they're peeling. Basically, it looks like that th- what these license plates are, are a sticker on top of mm. metal and uh, moisture, whatever's gotten underneath, and and they look like the the one that's on my Twitter page from uh, my friend Zach uh, at GMAC WPG. It just it looks terrible. It looks like it's a thousand years old. I've got a hundred year old license plate in my garage, uh, Manitoba license plate number 18 that looks better than that license plate in number that picture. 18? Number 18. Where did you get that? From my grandfather. My grandfather actually uh, had a triple A 18 for about 70 years and my dad has it now. Well, I don't know if I should be telling the world my dad's license plate, but I just did. <laughs> Hi, Mr. Mackley. <laughs> Hello, Ross. Sorry, Ross. <laughs> did you put a? Did you happen to take a picture of that plate? Of my eight of the eighteen plate? Yeah. yeah. No, no, I've got a picture of it somewhere. I'll probably go grab it okay. if I can find it. Okay. Yeah. It's, it, it, is it accessible in your garage? I think is the important question. No, I believe it is. <laughs> I believe it is. Okay. Things are becoming more accessible all the time, as you know. Very good. I climbed my Mount Everest. 
Yeah, and, and uh, just in case anybody thinks, you know, why are you talking about license plates? I mean, these are these license plates are important to Manitobans because it's you know it's it's part of how we, I guess, maybe identify ourselves, identify our pride in our province, right? It's a way that you can you you have motorized a motorized symbol of your pride in this province, whether it's for the jets, for the bombers, for the gold eyes, for whatever. I mean, I, I don't know how many specialty plates are there now, Loren. There's like got to be a dozen of them, I think. Oh, yeah, you get all sorts of firefighters and, you know, you can you can do obviously the different sports teams. I think you can also just request your own. Right. And so you're spending extra money for those things. So it's a valid question for folks out there who just like, you know, you're, you're putting your money out there. You want to know you're getting it back. And we just need to quickly mention yesterday's question of the day results on cover tunes brought to you by Credit Aid, helping Manitobans get out of debt since 1992. Visit creditaid.ca, call 204-987-6890. Of these frequent suggestions we're getting, which is the best cover song? At cjob.com, 37% said Street Heart, Under My Thumb, 31% Katie Lang, Hallelujah, 17% Johnny Cash, Hurt, and 15% Disturbed, The Sound of Silence. On Twitter, Johnny Cash led the way at 31% followed by Katie Lang at 28%, Streetheart 24 and Disturbed 17%. And I just wanted to quickly thank everybody who weighed in and sent us a text with your favorite cover song. I went back through our text messages yesterday morning and we got 316 texts. Austin 316 says you just whipped our butts with the number of texts that you sent us and over 200 of those text messages were related to cover songs. So just wanted to say hey, you guys are a huge part of what we do. So thank you so much for participating because yesterday we had a blast going through all of those cover songs. Right now we want to know at 204-780-6868 if you've ever gone out and spent your hard-earned money on something and it just turned out to be trash. And uh, it's that question is inspired by a conversation we're going to have at 905 with Manitoba Public Insurance over specialty license plates because one of Greg's buddies posted on Twitter asking the question are you having problems with your specialty plates and took a picture of his Winnipeg Jets plate and it was peeling and it just looked old and like it had been found in some sort of archaeological dig you can see that picture on Greg's Twitter at GMACWPG we've also put it up on our 680 CJOB Instagram story along with a picture of that 92 year old license plate that Greg found in in his garage number 18 from 1928 belonged to his grandfather and we are getting taxed so far at 204-780-6868 with some stories so we'll share those in a moment but let's go around the horn here because jeff braun is here kelly moore is here jeff fortier and uh, jeff braun why don't we start with you sir have you ever gone out bought something and realized this is this is crap yeah and uh about in 1999, I got my first DVD player. It was used and it cost me $250, which <laughs> is kind of astounding to think about now. Oh my God. But it was a good DVD player and they were, new ones were like 500 bucks at the time, right? And it lasted, it lasted me a good five years. And then it was time for a new one. And I went to Walmart and they had ones that were half the size for $38. <laughs> I was like, well, there we go. This is where I get my money back, right? So I picked one up, I got it home, it lasted, I think, five minutes, and then just stopped. <laughs> so I put it back in the box, took it back to Walmart, traded it in for a new one, got that back home, it lasted about ten minutes, and then it stopped. <laughs> and I was like, oh, is this what's going to happen? So 
I thought, well, maybe I'll just go ask for my money back. And I got there and they're like, no, we got to exchange it. So I was like, all right, I'll try it one more time. And I got the third one home on the same day. And then that thing actually worked and it lasted me for maybe seven years. So that was, it was, it took a while to get there. Like they were at about 30% on that batch of DVD players, I guess. But finally I got one that worked. I admire your dedication to going back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. How frustrating was that? Like how much time did you spend doing that? That was like, that was like my whole day was just back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Jeff Braun on a mission. What about you, Kelly Moore? Well, I can't remember how long ago it was. Two, three years ago, we went to one of these trade shows at the convention center and they uh, had this display on and there were these package of heating pads, you know, they covered different parts of the body and they were supposed to uh, warm up when you boiled them in water and cooled down and all the rest of that. Anyway, long story short, these things were crap. And of course, my dear wife, who's never afraid to let someone know uh, when her expectations have not been met, uh, got in touch with this company. Now, they did send us more pieces of crap, but we uh, <laughs> we have since... We have since written off that as uh, being uh, you know, something to buy. However, I do want to balance the scales and say we bought a set of uh, non-stick frying pans probably the year or two years before that, and they still work great because we've taken care of them. So just, I just wanted to make sure that people weren't thinking, well, all the stuff you buy at these trade shows might not work out for you. Yeah, I mean, I bought a, a golf glove from a company called Copper Tech, uh, at the golf expo last year, normally I go through three golf gloves in a season. I, that one lasted me the entire season and into this season. Canadian company based out of Alberta, uh, best golf glove I've ever ever bought. Uh, I would highly recommend uh, looking into it. Copper Tech Golf Glove. Uh, their website I think is uh, just coppertechgolfglove.com. Jeff, oh, I thought you said I thought you said you went through three golf clubs in a year. Oh, no. oh. <laughs> <laughs> I can see you going Brett Smash on them. Oh, trust me. I, I have tossed a seven iron or two about 50 yards down the fairway uh, and that they did not survive. What about you, Forte? I've actually bought n- not expensive sunglasses, but I spent good money on a good pair of sunglasses and they've broken within like a week. And then I go out and I buy another good pair of sunglasses and, well, I lost them. <laughs> so now I just I buy cheap sunglasses. Like I my sunglasses, they're not even here, but they're from a box of beer that's right you yes. left your shades at uh, 201 portage for a training and you texted me when i got to the to the ground and you said oh i left my sunglasses that i got in a beer box can you go get them and my dollarama <laughs> mitts because i lose my mitts all the time so now i just buy cheap crap because i know i'm gonna break it you know th- that's interesting though and greg i don't know if you have expensive sunglasses but i often wonder too like when we i i've only ever had one expensive pair of sunglasses and i think i sometimes drop them because i'm trying to be ginger with them <laughs> well you know i've had uh i had the varnay sunglasses back in the in the 80s and 90s uh they had to be fashion and and color coded uh, to appropriate with my uh, with whatever um ensemble I was wearing at the time. Uh, Miami Dolphins colors were the most popular uh, back in the day. Teal and orange, what a horrible combination. Uh, But I do have a pair of Oakleys that I got for Father's Day. I guess it's going on six years now and I've managed to hold on to those, but I can't use them anymore because my eyesight is going and I need to get uh, bifocal 
lenses in them and it costs a fortune but sunglasses i i think it's so ironic that jeff forche has decided that he's going to buy three dollar sunglasses or just use the ones out of the beer box and he, it's impossible for them him to lose them now it's that true. he's using the cheap ones but if he had the expensive ones he'd lose them in a month <laughs> now loren mcnab what about you cheap crap you ever bought anything garbage Oh, I've had cars that were lemon, the washing machine that broke within the first month, few months of getting it, all sorts of big things. But the thing that I, I never, always makes me laugh is I got sucked into, I think it was an as seen on TV. And we've actually had listener Heather text in about anything that's on as seen on TV is crap. I don't know if that's true, but this was the slap chop. Remember the guy who did the slap chop? Yeah. And you could cut things with it. Oh, I've got, I got one. Do you? Well, yeah. I got sucked into buying one. I don't know why. I must, you know, maybe I came home late one night and turned the TV on. Who knows? But when it came in the mail, it was used. Like, it clearly had been used. It had cuts all over it and, like, pieces of stuff in it. And the box was broken. And I was like, this has literally slap-chopped a piece of broccoli already. And now I've paid for it. And so instead of returning it, because back then it was just so much work to do returns, I just kept the darn thing, and I laughed every single time I used it. It didn't. It didn't work. It was crap. Yeah, but I, it was a lesson learned. I've never used mine. I, th- I tried it once. It was neat, but uh, I, I've never used it. Greg, we've only got about thirty seconds. But is there an item that jumps to mind for you? Well, I hate it when I go to the store and I buy something that's clearly been returned once I get it home and then there's one screw missing or something that's happened multiple times. But the worst time was 1,200 square feet of laminate flooring. It was supposed to be top of the line. Within a month, it started peeling Uh. on the seams. And, uh, of course, we lived with it until a month before we put up our house for sale. So uh, you know how that goes. Uh, You live with with the lousy stuff and then... When you decide to sell is when you make, uh, you know, you, you fix everything up. But, oh, I mean, because it's not hard enough to put down 1,200 square feet of laminate flooring the first time. You got to do it a second time. Should have got the sticky. <laughs> the sticky. <laughs> <laughs> that was the other product from that guy. And sticky. ShamWow. ShamWow. ShamCrap. Oh, man. Nice pull, Kelly. A cleanup of homeless camps near the Disraeli Bridge, Loren, is going to start today. Yeah, there's been this cluster of tents and tarps which have sheltered several of Winnipeg's homeless over the past few months. There's one on Lily Street, which is just off Main, and then there's, of course, another encampment on Austin Street, and both are coming down. An order is apparently going to go out today that people in those camps are expected to, quote, vacate by the end of this week. But several groups are going to be out there this morning to start that cleanup, including the Main Street Project. Rick Lees is his executive director and joins us now. Good morning, Rick. Hi, Good morning. Tell us, when will this start? What's the schedule for today for the cleanup and and moving people? Yeah, so we've been working with folks in the camps, and we had good conversations with them yesterday to talk about sort of like safety issues and and, uh, public health. And as you may know, there was a fire in the Austin camp on Sunday, which was um, uh, because of the rain didn't spread too far, but is always a dangerous thing. Um, but, and, and so we all agreed that today would be about cleaning the camps up, beginning to help people make choices on where they might move to. Uh, so there'll be um, a number of teams out there to offer supports, housing supports. Um, many of the encampment uh, folks uh, currently use our showers and drop-in services at 190 Israeli, which you know is just, just across the street. That'll continue. And uh, we're also uh, going to offer to store and... Um, um, mark items that people want to store right now if they need to do that. So that'll all start today. 
uh, but in constant, sort of in concert with the folks that live there uh, and sort of work today and tomorrow through till Friday. Rick, based on what I've seen, the plan is, as I understand it, it feels like a, an opportunity to meet people in the middle here. These these camps can't be safe health-wise, and, and you outline the safety concerns with what happened Sunday. But there are people that don't want to go to a shelter. They don't feel secure or safe or whatever their reasons may be for not wanting to use those facilities. How are we going to, how are we going to help those folks that just don't want to use either your facilities or other others in the in the city. Yeah, and you know you're absolutely right. And shelters aren't for everybody, and they're they're emergency shelters, so they're never supposed to be housing or the main source of housing. And so our homeless outreach mentors, which we have, are working to rapidly rehouse and find housing stock for people that may want to go into housing. Um, right now, as you know, COVID nineteen is very much out there and around us, and we're concerned for folks in that camp who have not been tested, but have been living in a congregate living environment. And so we're making available the option to go get tested and perhaps go to our isolation site at Sargent, which is uh, studio apartments where they can stay for three or four days until they get the results. And by the way, at that facility, we've had some really great results with helping people make a decision to move on to other housing who have not been housed before, or also go into withdrawal management supports to help with some addiction issues. So um, we're we're going to make a number of options available to folks, but we're going to do it with them, not to them. That's really the most important part of this uh, process. Rick, won't these camps just keep popping up if they tear these ones down? Sure. And this is not about, I just want to be clear, this is not about resolving the very big complex issue of housing and these encampments. Um, there are other encampments in town that are not being dealt with this week. Um, but this is about life safety in those two camps uh, and public health. And, and that's it. Those are the core reasons for these camps. I think the discussion has to continue. And until we can create a really sound housing structure for people uh, who are in an unsheltered homeless capacity, we will continue to see camps. Do we not have a, a crisis or a problem on our hands? Am I wrong and listeners wrong in saying that this has gotten worse over the years in terms of the number of camps we've seen and the number of people choosing to not use the shelters? Is this a growing issue? And we have about just 30 seconds, Rick, so apologies. Yeah, but sure. but where's this going? Because it feels like it's getting worse. Well, it is and it isn't. On the one hand, if you'd seen our shelter at 75 Martha, you'd agree that that's not a good place for people to stay. Because of COVID, we've opened a great many new spaces. And, and I still say, well, shelter is not primarily housing. We've got a better opportunity now than ever to deal with homelessness in the city if we hang on to some of these facilities that we've created and use them for the good of the people that really need them. Rick Lees is the executive director of Main Street Project, joining us live on 680 CJOB. Rick, thank you very much for this. Thank you, my friends. Take care. It is 712 on 680 CJOB. And I just want to say uh, hello to Arthur, one of our uh, most loyal listeners who texts us all the time and corrects our grammar. And he sent us a picture of a Father's Day gift he got last year from his son, who's always given him a hard time about, <laughs> about writing everyone for their language. And it's just a sign that simply says, I'm silently correcting your grammar. I think we ha- all have a person like that in our life. For us, it is Arthur. And Arthur, we appreciate the education because he teaches us words like like prescriptivist and putative. I don't even know if I'm saying that correctly. Greg, have you ever heard the word putative? 
<laughs> no, use it in a sentence. Uh, uh, as a, uh, hang on a second. Where is it? Uh, they receive no benefit themselves from the putative alliance. So I don't know. I got to look it up. But Arthur, we appreciate I got work it. To do. <laughs> he, he gives us homework every day. But we want to continue now talking about travel restrictions, which as a result of COVID-19 have kept many Manitobans apart from loved ones over the past three months. Yeah, in Manitoba, there's a rule requiring anyone who comes to our province to self-isolate for 14 days. Same goes for anyone returning to our province after a work or personal trip. That's an interprovincial restriction. And then there's the international one. The Canada-U.S. border shut down, closed in March, and it's expected the ban on non-essential travel will extend, Loren, into July. Yeah, and that's left lots of families in limbo. Just this week, you Ottawa decided it would implement a limited exemption so that immediate family members of citizens or permanent residents could can now come to Canada, but that exemption still leaves many people separated in a time of need. Elaine Wishart, she lives in Carmen. She's been with her long-term partner for three years, but hasn't seen him since that travel ban went in place. The problem, her partner now, he lives and works in Minneapolis and he can't come here. Elaine joins us now. Good morning, Elaine. Hi there. Well, thanks for taking the time to tell us your story. Uh, You've gone from seeing him at least twice a month over the span of this three-year relationship to nothing. What's that separation been like for you? Yeah, it's it's been inc- incredibly difficult for both of us, and um, and then with the restrictions being altered slightly, that we were quite hopeful, and then when we realised that it didn't include long term partners and committed couples, that's just yeah, it's a bit of a kicker, really. Now, in terms of Speaking to the authorities, we understand that you have asked authorities uh, for him to come. What happened? Yeah, he contacted Border Services in May. He contacted Ottawa and asked them about coming to coming to the land border at Pembina. Um, I've got some mental health issues, and with the pandemic, it's you know obviously it's becoming increasingly it's stressful. So. He, he was advised from Ottawa to, although it was a grey area, um, they advised him to ask, for me to ask my family doctor for a letter to allow him to cross the border. So we did that and he drove up to Pembina on the 23rd of May with the letter. Um, also, he was able to prove that he's, he could work from my home. He was able to quarantine for the 14 days. I'm able to quarantine for the 14 days, but no, still he was basically interviewed and turned away. Um, it, it wasn't, you know, it, it wasn't considered essential travel. Um, yeah, and he basically indicated to him that he had no legal standing to enter Canada. So, yeah. It's got to be incredibly not only stressful but frustrating to go through the hoops that you did and to get the letter from your doctor and to seek advice of border services. So what's next? Have, have, you, have you heard anything else since May 23rd uh, about what other plan you might coordinate here, Elaine, in, in order to no, get your I partner mean, here? Really, our hands are tied. We, we have no... 
you know, we there's no way of, of go, bypassing this. I mean, people are writing to their MPs and starting to make a noise about it. And they're citing cases of countries in Denmark who are allowing committed couples to enter, you know, from surrounding countries. And really, it's just a case of trying to get raise awareness and and let people know that, you know, couples who are committed but they don't fit the marriage and the common law status, they, you know, where's, where's our humanity and compassion? We need a bit of recognition that, you know, it's not just a fly-by-night relationship you're in. It's, yeah. Is that what this it's comes down easy, to? Hey? No, I'm sure it's not, Elaine. And I'm, I'm wondering if it's just, if this is what it comes down to in terms of the terminology that's being used, you know, in the sense that, okay, so there's there's not technically that piece of paper, that marriage certificate or that uh, common law status, and therefore you're in this limbo. You've been with someone for three years, but you're in two different countries doing a long-term mm-hmm. relationship, with many, which many people do, and, and now yeah. you're stuck because, because of sort of just the, the way your relationship has been defined. Yes, you are stuck. And the problem with the common law status for a lot of ourselves and a lot of other couples me being a Canadian citizen and him being a US citizen, the definition legally of being a common law is to, to have cohabited for a year. Well, we wouldn't legally be allowed to cohabit in either of each other's countries for a year anyway. You know, so there is that. Yes, we could go to another country perhaps, get visas and live together for a year. But I would imagine that most couples in this situation aren't legally allowed to, to live together for a year in either the in Canada or the U.S. Now, in terms of getting emotional care, obviously it would be better if your partner was there so you had, you know, someone to lean on. But uh, are you getting, like, at least you do have uh, adult children. Uh, So how is that working out? It's it's working out fine. That was another comment from the border guard. Another reason, not so much a comment, but yet she has family in Carmen, um, they can fulfil her physical needs, basically. But I don't need my physical needs fulfilled. I work full time. I'm able to cook and clean and look after myself. That's not the reason I want my partner here. It's for emotional support, not only for me, but for him as well. So, yeah, it's, it's a, it is a great area and it's also a human area, you know. Elaine, this obviously is a small number of people. For as many people as as do it, it's a it's a small percentage of couples. It's a sort of a non traditional uh, way to uh, to live, without question. But do we not need to use some common sense more often? This feels as though uh, there would be probably difficulty in uh, wording any sort of rules or regulations around this. I, I think we can forgive the government if they didn't ponder this circumstance when they laid out all the regulations, but when it's been mm-hmm. brought to their attention, wouldn't it make sense that they, they sit back and think about this and you're willing to comply and able to comply with all the other rules that are laid out here. It, it, it feels, it feels very, very, I don't know. It, it doesn't feel right. No, it doesn't feel right. It's very frustrating. Um, I mean, constitutionally, we have the right to, to, you know, have human relationships, and that's essential and fundamental to our health and well-being. Um, it's it's equally frustrating that you see the social distancing, 
and the quarantining and the gatherings being relaxed more and more on both sides of the border. Um, you know, and it, it's, it's tough. And there has to be recognition of that at some point along the way. Um, and I think it's the lack of transparency, transparency too. You know, what's the end goal here? We could be waiting for a couple of years for a vaccine. Elaine? You know, yeah. Oh, finish your thought, Elaine. I'm sorry. No, it's just, yeah, it's, we're, we're in this for the long game. It's not something we can fix in six months' time, but certainly to keep people separated for indefinitely is just, yeah, it's just cruel and inhumane, really. Elaine Wishart lives in Carmen. Joining us live on 680 CJOB, thank you so much for taking the time to reach out to us to share your story, and uh, hopefully everything works out okay. Thanks so much. Just want to quickly mention this, Greg. I was scrolling through Netflix yesterday looking for something to watch, and I went to the top ten, and I found that the number two... Uh, thing that was in Canada yesterday was something called 365 Days. It's actually a Polish movie, uh, 365 DNI. A fiery executive in a spiritless relationship falls victim to a dominant mafia boss who imprisons her and gives her one year to fall in love with him. And I thought, well, that sounds kind of neat, but that's not what I was in the mood for yesterday. Then I log on to Twitter this morning, and I see it trending for a couple of reasons. One, here's a headline from The Independent, Netflix viewers accuse erotic thriller of romanticizing and kidnapping and Stockholm Syndrome. So that's kind of troubling. But then the other one that caught my attention, it says, the 365 DNI boat scene is the closest thing to porn on Netflix. I was So that was at about three this morning. So I thought, well, I guess I got to watch this scene. So I quickly scrolled through it because, hey, research, right? Research is an be- integral part of our job. If uh, you didn't, you'd be fired from the couch potatoes. <laughs> All right, we have a $50 gift card to give away for Food Fair. And the question for today, which has to do with towels, Loren, as we mentioned, you were talking about this towel fetish that your your book character Gary has. Over 600,000 towels are stolen from hotels every year, making them the number one stolen item from hotels. What is the second most stolen item? Oh, I know. Ooh. Loren knows? Okay, I'm going to say... I'm gonna... I never know. We know that, okay. but I'll pretend well, to know. Well, maybe. Marie, do you know what it is? Uh, I'm just going to say asteroids. Say that again, please. Asteroids. I'm having a hard... Asteroids. Asteroids. Yeah. Okay, no, that's not it. I'm sorry, Marie. Um, good guess, though. Keith, do you know what it is? Pillows. Pillows, no. That would be... T- <laughs> That, if if somebody were brazen enough to steal a pillow, though, I, you know, I mean, good for them, I guess, because that, that takes up a lot of room. Sylvia. Hello there, Sylvia. What is the second most stolen item from hotels? A Bible. A Bible? No. But yeah, there's one in every room, right? <laughs> Thank you. Okay. Uh, Mike, do you know what it is? Yeah, good morning. Uh, bathrobes. No. No, I'm afraid it's not bathrobes. That was one of your guesses, Loren. I see My on text. Guess. Yeah, yeah. Uh, your first guess is also incorrect. Uh, ah. Same for you, Greg. Uh, Melody. Oh, really? Yeah. Mm. Melody, do you know mm. what it is? Blankets? No, not blankets. Mm. It is not blankets. Oh, then it has to be this. Greg, do you know what it is? And the Greg Caller, not Greg Mackling. 
um, a TV cl- um, clicker. Say that again. The, the, um, you're saying the remote the, control? Yeah. Okay, it is not the remote control. But uh, in NBA Jam terms, he's heating up. Ryan, do you know what it is? Uh, the wastebasket. Not the wastebasket, no. Uh, we're cooling off again, though. Georgina, do you know what it is? I guess I was going to say soap and shampoos. No, not soap and shampoo. <laughs> but thank you, Georgina. Sharon, do you know? No, I was going to say soap. Blast it anyway. <laughs> Did you just say blast it? Yeah, I was going to say soap. Yeah. <laughs> that reminds you Don't of ever feel guilty about taking the soap. That is not stealing. They don't know if you've used it or not. You take all the soap and shampoo you want. That reminds That's me of opinion. Scooby-Doo. Uh, Would have gotten away with it, too, if it weren't for those blasted kids. Oh, yeah, blasted kids. Yeah. Brandon, <laughs> over 600,000 towels are stolen from hotels every year, making them the number one stolen item from hotels. What is the second most stolen item? And I mentioned that the remote control was in the ballpark. Uh, the phone. No, not the phone. Um, Harold, do you know? Uh, would it be the ice bucket? No, not the ice bucket. Let's just say it, it It does have to do with the, the the television and the remote control. That's about as specific as I can get without giving it away. Gene, do you know? Radio? Not the radio, no. Unfortunately. You Linda. You blame people for stealing a radio. Yeah, you got to have a radio. Lin, and they can be hard yes. to find, actually. Linda. That was my answer, radio. But how about a bath mat? I know that's wrong, but... It, it, I'm sorry. Yeah, that's not it. Uh, oh, Loren McNabb! Has landed on the winner, but I can't mm-hmm. mention it. Mike, do you know what it is? Clock. Not a clock. Gail, do you know what it is? The TV. No. Scott, do you know what it is? Yeah, batteries. Say that again, Scott. The batteries. The batteries from the remote control. <laughs> wow. Of course. <laughs> I never. I mean, of course. Never would have guessed that is the second most stolen item. My God. <laughs> Scott, have you ever stolen anything from a hotel room? No. <laughs> okay. I'm going to put you on hold, buddy. You're going to win yourself a $50 gift card from Food Fair. And yeah, just the, the thought of a hotel, I hope to one day see a hotel room again on vacation because I got a Google notification uh, from my Google Photos that it was one year ago today I returned from Las Vegas and I had the, the hangover special at uh, the airport. Greg uh, Carl's Jr. is set up <laughs> in the airport and I had a greasy, bur- greasy breakfast with their tater tots and I came back all hungover. I don't even actually think I slept that night. I think I just, we went back to the hotel room and I stayed up and just got packed up and said, if I lie down, I'm dead. So, uh, yeah, I just kind of toughed it out and tried to sleep on the plane. So hopefully you can see a hotel again. So yeah, $50 gift card for Food Fair. Congratulations, Scott. We've got more to give away this week. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, although McNabb has had to step away, so it's just Mackling and McGarry the rest of the way today. This morning we have been discussing the products you have purchased, which have turned out to be terrible, awful, or as I like to say in French, c'est dégueulasse. The conversation this morning was inspired by a tweet that Greg posted earlier this week. Yeah, Tuesday night, Brad, a friend of mine posted a picture of his Winnipeg Jets license plate 
The picture depicts peeling and bubbling of what looks like a shriveling sticker or decal. Americans say decal. The plates are from the original run of specialty plates, which were released when the NHL returned to Winnipeg in 2011. These plates are incredibly popular, as are the Winnipeg Blue Bomber specialty plates released over the years. I retweeted the picture with the question, anyone else having this issue with their license plates? I didn't know what to expect, but the tweet got as many responses as I've ever received on anything like this. The thread was creating quite the conversation. Perhaps as interesting to me the number of people saying they had had issues were the variety of different experiences MPI customers had in dealing with these plates. So the experiences and resolutions were all over the map. And Brian Smiley of MPI joins us to clear up some of the information which was traded on the thread, which you can see at GMACWPG. Good morning, Brian. Good morning, fellows. We appreciate you reaching out yesterday as you noticed this conversation happening on my on my Twitter thread. And so I didn't even have to reach out to you. You reached out to me. And um, as you notice, plenty of people voicing their experiences. How common is it overall that people have an issue with any license plate? We will have to replace typically roughly 1,500 to 2,000 license plates yearly. Keeping in mind, uh, Greg, that we have over a, over a million plates on the roadways, the plates have a five-year warranty. Uh, they are uh, they will uh, deteriorate based on weather conditions, car washes, various other factors that come into play. But again, we replace about fifteen hundred to two thousand per year. Is there something about the specialty plates, Brian, that makes them more susceptible to I don't know? Can we call it failure? Not so much. We did a run on that, too, and we found that there was really no particular plate or series of plates or numbers that were deteriorating faster than others. Uh, But we should talk about people who do have the specialty or a personalized license plate or a collector plate. If it is deteriorating significantly within that five-year warranty, they can go to their auto pack agent and the plate should be replaced for free. If you are outside the five-year warranty, you will be charged a $26 fee. Yeah, we saw a variety of responses, including some people suggesting that they were charged $70 to replace the the uh, the license plate. And I don't know if that was just a misunderstanding based on the original cost, uh, but uh, $26 was pretty common. Is five years a reasonable amount of time in your mind, Brian, for these things to last? I posted a picture of my my 92-year-old license plate, which looks better than some of the license plates on the road (laughs) right now. Granted, mine has been hibernating for probably about 60 of that 92 years, but uh, is this a reasonable amount of time in in the opinion of of MPI? Well, it's the the opinion of the manufacturer. They believe that the five-year warranty is reasonable. We have spoken to them before. We've expressed concerns to them as recently as months ago about some plates deteriorating quicker than others. Uh, the manufacturer has assured us that the five-year warranty is an industry standard, so we're satisfied with that. Again, at the plate, that depends on what the plate has gone through. I suppose if you, if it's exposed to ice and slush and salt and various other weather factors, it may deteriorate quicker. Uh, your collector plate, again, it's, it's tucked up in your bedroom shelf there, Greg. We know that. It's not getting any weather on that. <laughs> 
Fair enough. So I guess Fair it's unre- unreasonable then to expect that it, that a, the license plate could last for, you know, let's say, a decade? Well, I would certainly, as I, I would hope that they last a decade. Uh, as the as the seller of the place, we certainly have, uh, we want the place to last forever. But again, some plates will deteriorate quicker than others. And as I mentioned, uh, for those customers out there, they go to their auto package, and, and and Greg, you're probably right that there must be there might be a little bit of miscommunication going on there because seventy dollars is the price to purchase another specialty plate uh, or collector plate. So there might be some miscommunication going on between the customer and the broker. But I I do know that the auto pack agents are very familiar with this. They do a number of transactions on a regular basis, so we're very confident that. The proper information is being relayed. And you know what? I just got to give a little plug right now to the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. They've come out with a new blue specialty plate. So for all the CGOB course listeners out there, you might want to take advantage of the new plate for the defending Great Cup champion Bombers. Yeah, they're absolutely gorgeous. How do you go about getting those right now, Brian? Because I went to my insurance dealer hoping to get one instantly. Do I have to order it online? What's the process there? You will go to your auto pack agent. You will fill out an application, and you should be getting a plate after that anywhere from seven to ten business days. All right. Now, one of our listeners, sorry, Brett, just uh, had a text here from one of our listeners asking about F series of the regular plates that that uh, theirs had completely peeled off, and and she's under the understanding that there's a flaw with that series of plates. He didn't mention it in the in the preamble. There, are you aware of that, Brian? We, this has been brought to our attention some time ago, and again, we did a bit of a, a study on it, and there's really no series of plates that are more vulnerable or more deteriorating than others. It's, it seems to be, uh, it could be a specialty plate, it could be a regular uh, Manitoba license plate, but there really isn't one particular series of plates that would be so-called flawed, no. All right, Brian Smiley well, from Manitoba thanks, Public Thanks, buddy, Insurance. I appreciate it. Brian Smiley from Manitoba Public Insurance joining us live on 680 CJOB. We appreciate the time, Brian. Well, you know what, fellas? It's always good to clear things up and get the record straight. And, uh, and Greg, I'm looking forward to seeing you driving around in your new bomber specialty plate. One last thing, though, for our customers, for your CJOB listeners. If their plate is really deteriorated, very peeled off, they are strongly advised to go to their auto packing agent and replace it. They could receive a ticket from police if the plate is unreadable. Oh, good to know. Okay, right on, Brian. Thanks for sharing that, and thanks again for the time. As always, sir, much appreciated. Always a pleasure, fellas. In 2014, our next guest shared his story in the book All the Way, My Life on Ice. It was written with one of Canada's best-ever sports journalists, Stephen Brunt. In the book, he speaks openly about his battle with alcohol. He also discusses the heartbreaking death of his brother, Terrence, in 2002, and life as the NHL's first Inuk player. He openly discusses these personal experiences and so much more. Jordan Tutu spent parts of 13 seasons in the NHL. Before that, he was a star with the Brandon Wheat Kings. We welcome Jordan Tutu to the start. Good morning, Jordan. Good morning, guys. Thanks for having me today. An absolute pleasure. Been looking forward to this for an awfully long time. And, you know, uh, Jordan, sometimes when people say, you should write a book, it's a turn of phrase. Uh, Your life has been an incredible 
journey, extremely book worthy. What was it like working with Stephen Brunt? You know, it was an uh, it was an, an amazing experience. Um, you know, every person has his own story, and uh, you know, for for one to to speak out and to be comfortable and content in their own skin to to talk about their life experiences takes a lot of courage. And uh, you know, the first year of uh, putting pen to paper for me. Um, it was tough, and and as the days went on, I got more and more comfortable with uh, with Stephen Brunt, and what an amazing uh, individual he is. You know, he's got a history of uh, writing autobiographies for for sports figures, and uh, uh, you know, I was uh, thoroughly. Uh, excited about the opportunity and it was a, a time for me to reflect and to uh, kind of let go of uh, you know issues that uh, I grew up with and uh, it was a healing process for me. What does life after hockey look like for you? Life after hockey has been uh, a lot of fun to be honest you know I I was able to walk away from the game on my own terms. And, uh, you know, my wife, Jennifer, um, you know, we, we, we've got two young daughters who are healthy and, and I'm able to be a present father. Uh, you know, I'm able to, to watch them grow. And, uh, you know, I think those little things, a lot of us take for granted, uh, you know, on a day-to-day basis where, uh, especially professional athletes being on the road quite a bit, you miss out on, um, uh, you know, our, our children's milestones. And, and for me to be able to, to see them firsthand has been an amazing experience. And uh, the transition for me was, uh, was pretty smooth. Jordan, your willingness to share your story so openly is uh, is uh, so fascinating and, and wonderful to me. So thanks for doing that. Two of the issues you you discuss openly, uh, not only in your book but in the in the speeches that you've been doing for the last several years, are particularly relevant right now in my mind. Uh, can you talk about racism that you faced on and off the ice? Evander Kane has spoken out uh, most recently, and and looking to get a group of players together to to. Tap tackle that problem maybe you could uh, walk us back in your life and talk about what you experienced as the first Inuk player in the National Hockey League yeah you know it was uh you know, a lot of ups and downs uh, to be honest you know as a indigenous athlete um coming into uh the southern territories to pursue my my ultimate dream of playing in the National Hockey League uh first and foremost it was a culture shock uh you know coming to the south and being the only inuk um in school in the uh, in the hockey league that I was in um was it, it was tough to be honest because there were often times where I questioned, you know, my heritage, my background, because of the, the, you know, for me, I looked at it as jealousy. Racism is, uh, is a very touchy subject. And as a young teenage kid, um, 
you, you know, you, you start second guessing yourself when people are directing comments about your your culture and your traditions and your heritage and uh, and so a lot of us indigenous people want to fit in uh, and ultimately I look you, you know your average Canadian isn't educated on multicultural backgrounds uh, at the end of the day we are human and everyone should be treated equally and you know we, we need to uplift in order to you know for positivity for for the next generation and i understand there's a lot of history um you know with the indigenous communities with the white with the the blacks and and i think it's just about being proud of who you are and where you come from and educate yourself on the history and and the dramatic incidences that happen and and just have a little more sympathy the racism that you may have experienced uh did you experience it as well from teammates over the years Uh, you know what uh as far as teammates uh personally i i've never experienced it uh obviously being in sports um we all know that emotions run high sometimes and uh you know things happen so fast that after the fact uh you uh, you know you start reflecting on what you just said or what you just did towards that individual and uh you, you know prior to entering rehab in 2010 I was an angry individual. I I took everything personally uh, and you know a few years into my recovery I I started to understand that you cannot control what other people say or do towards you. And so I looked at racism as a, a you know fuel that lit my fire to stop one cycle and start a new cycle. Um, you know, when you're comfortable and content in your own skin, it, nothing else matters. And, and you, you start to realize that, you know, we, every in- individual fights a fight no one knows about. And so when I was faced with racism at the professional level, I was often thinking to myself, to that individual saying whatever racial slurs they said towards me, I would look them in the eye and say, Hey, are, are you okay? How is your home life? You know, that individual may be uneducated about um, my background. And so ultimately, you know, I can't control what other people say or do towards me. As long as I'm comfortable and content my own skin and I believe who I am and where I come from, you know, it, it doesn't matter what what other people say. 
Jordan, thanks again for taking time and sharing all the the stories uh, from your past, good, bad, and otherwise. And I spent four years of my life in Brandon and always credit it to me turning out, quote unquote, as a good kid. It was a wonderful place to spend my formative years. But I know Brandon's got some uh, you know, mixed memories, obviously, for you. The, the the suicide of your brother Terrence in 2002, obviously one of the largest tragedies uh, in your life. But how how did that tragedy shape your world, and 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 how did it motivate you ultimately? Yeah, my you know my brother Terrence was uh, was a mentor. He was my hero, and uh, you know growing up as a young kid, having an older brother who who kind of was a father figure to me um you know you create that bond and and as you grow up you you think that that bond's gonna last a lifetime and at 19 years old um you know my brother i was 19 years old my brother was 22 um ultimately took his own life and you know we we go back to uh, the, the mental health aspect of every individual and you know my brother from the outside looking in uh, I, I I myself never ever imagined he was hurting that much that you know it came to the point where he decided to to take his own life and um, you know with mental health you never know what you know that that individual is going through unless you know you start opening those communication lines and uh, you know my brother you know lived uh, a life of joy and happiness and and ultimately deep down inside he was uh, he was a hurting individual and uh, to this day uh, you know I I don't ever take things for granted. You know, my brother has passed on many, many life lessons for me that I've uh, instilled in my life to this day. And, uh, you know, the one, the one aspect that he really motivated me was to, to do to fulfill my our ultimate dream and that was to play in the national hockey league and when my brother left me a note um it said george go all the way take care of the family you are the man and i i live by those words on a day-to-day basis um you know i i've always been a family guy who you know whatever i can do to uh to help my family um and to to be the best version of myself. Um, you know, I, I knew that if I didn't accept help in 2010, that, you know, possibly my, my life would have ended. Uh, you know, yes, I was, I was suicidal. I had mental, mental health problems that I didn't know how to deal with. We grew up in a household where nothing was ever talked about. Uh, I didn't know how to express my feelings um being a young adult i was always in the buzz and and used hockey as an outlet to suppress my feelings and to you know kind of forget about everything that happened in my life 
and you know alcohol took control of of me uh if i didn't accept help my hockey career would have been done and i knew that in order to stop one cycle and start a new cycle i had to accept the help that was given to me Jordan Tutu joining us live on 680 CGOB. Jordan, that's all the time we have, but thank you so much for taking the time to share your story with us. This has been powerful and moving. We appreciate it. My pleasure, guys. Have a wonderful day. Thank you. Hey, thanks for listening to The Start Podcast. We are available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Subscribe now and never miss an episode. And if you like what you hear, rate the show, tell us what you think, and hey, even tell a friend about the podcast. Be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Greg is at GMACWPG. That's G-M-A-C-K-W-P-G. I am at Brett McGarry, B-R-E-T-T-M-E-G-A-R-R-Y. And Loren on Twitter is at McNab on Global and on Instagram at McNab on C-J-O-B. Talk soon.